There is a need not to forget the problems female physicians faced in the male-dominated medical profession in the last quarter of the 19th and the first half of the 20th century. Today we will discuss and learn about one of those pioneers who brought so much to medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you're listening to Book Club on ReachMD, and with me today is Dr. Peter Dawson. Dr. Dawson is an English-trained pathologist who became chief of surgical pathology at Oregon Health Services University and later at the University of Chicago. Thank you, Dr. Dawson, for joining us. Happy to be here. We're going to discuss his recent book, Dorothy in a Man's World, a Victorian Woman's Physician's Trials and Triumphs. First of all, Dr. Dawson, what drew you to this particular person? Well, I've had a long interest in the history of Hodgkin's disease. And I revived that uh, at the end of the last century, in about 1998, and I wrote an article on the original illustrations of Hodgkin's disease. And of course, Dorothy's key article is the basis, really, for our understanding of the histopathology of Hodgkin's disease. And she actually illustrated it with drawings that she made herself. And I wondered, after I'd written this article, whatever happened to Dorothy, because I could never find any further articles of the scientific sort. And I talked to people I knew in the field, and nobody ever had any idea. And so it was curiosity that uh, originally drove me. And then I found this book by Jill Kerr Conway, where she'd extracted some of Dorothy's uh, handwritten autobiography and used it in her own book, which she called in her own words. So Dorothy, for medical students of, of my vintage, her maiden name was Reed. So she is the Reed Sternberg cell that we all heard about in pathology and was so connected to Hodgkin's disease. Later on, she marries, and in your book, she is referred to as Dorothy Reed Menderhall. So tell us a little bit about this very pivotal work of when she began to draw these pictures of this very unique cell, which at the time, really everyone thought Hodgkin's disease was related to tuberculosis. That's, that's correct. You see, Thomas Hodgkin, when he first described this disease, although he owned a microscope, did not use one. And so his original description was based purely on, on gross pathology, just what he saw at the autopsy. And uh, one or two people had made attempts to illustrate the microscopy of Hodgkin's disease. But the fact was that it wasn't until fairly late in the middle or late 19th century that the preparations were good enough to be seen clearly down the microscope. Sternberg in 1898 had described the pathology of Hodgkin's disease microscopically. And Dorothy, when she started as a demonstrator in Welsh's department at Hopkins, he said, I'd like for you to look into this. And she found eight cases there. And she actually had trouble getting decent uh, histological slides, but she did. And it so happened that as a child, she'd grown up with her grandmother, who was an artist, and uh, she'd learned how to draw. And so, although she was helped a little bit by the then famous medical artist at Hopkins, the 
microscopic pictures in her paper were drawn by herself. Unfortunately, in the book, her, uh, her signature in the corner was cut off uh, from the picture that I reproduced, but it was her actual drawings. You know, your book has, uh, when I read it, has two distinct parts, I think, although you interweave them. It's Dorothy's personality and motivation. Dorothy grows up in what I would consider an extremely affluent environment, certainly not where women go into medicine. She goes to Smith. She later becomes one of the first female students at John Hopkins. And later we will talk about how she moves to Wisconsin and becomes very active in rural medicine. She's really a very unique person. What drives her to become involved in medicine when medicine really isn't a field women go into, they get married, they run a home, they take care of the children. What about this woman, which made her so unique? Well, Dorothy's life was punctuated by a series of, of events which turned it around, the first of which was the death of her, her father when she was six. The second was when her mother took her to Europe, and it became apparent that she was really an obnoxious child who was in need of discipline and proper schooling. And when she came back to Europe, her mother got her a governess, a Miss Gunning. And this governess turned Dorothy's life around, and she got her, actually, to go to Smith College. Now, Dorothy was never really interested in healing the sick in the sense that many physicians are. She was interested in biology, and it was a biology class at Smith that turned her on. She said... This is what I've always wanted to do. And so she got into biology. And then by another chance, she was asked to entertain the brother of a classmate at Smith. And this man had just now enrolled in Hopkins. And he told her all about Hopkins and its new scientific curriculum and how it accepted women. And she went home and that day and worked that evening to Welch, the then dean and professor of pathology at Hopkins, and asked him how she could become a student. That's fascinating. Later on, we'll discover that Dorothy, although you've called her a Victorian physician, takes over the family finances. She rescues the family. She rescues her brother, who spends money frivolously, and she really is not what I would call a Victorian. You know, I'm not an English major, but I've always associated Victorian women with Bronte. I've associated them with authors like Dickens. And now we have a, a person who is much more a, a modern woman. She even, in your book, and I don't want to ruin the, the suspense, has romantic liaisons, which remain a, a puzzle as to who her secret lover is for much of her life. She loses two children tragically and manages to then restructure her life. What's Victorian about her? Well, I think she really was Victorian in terms of her morality, although certainly she had the misstep that you alluded to, which was a fairly momentous event. But of course, the world is constantly changing. And the latter part of the Victorian era was one of intense change. There were changes in our understanding of biology. There was Darwin and the origin of species. There was electricity. There was the telephone and all of the industrial revolution. Now, one of the things that happened was that there was this movement to educate women. 
And it was a brand new idea. And some people worried that you couldn't educate women without unsexing them. And Smith College and many of the other women's colleges, but Smith in particular, was founded to provide women with an education similar to that provided in men's colleges. So she went there and for the first time encountered liberated women. I agree with you, they were absolutely removed from the stereotypic Victorian young lady. But these women were outspoken, they were excited, they were intelligent, they were asking questions, they believed in exercise. I mean, they were really very modern women, I would say. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the book club Reach MD, and I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And joining me today is Dr. Peter Dawson, and we're discussing his new book, Dorothy In a Man's World, a Victorian Woman's Physician's Trials and Triumphs. To shift a little in our discussion, we've talked about Dorothy, and Dorothy ultimately marries, follows her husband to Madison, who ultimately becomes professor of physics at the University of Wisconsin. And there her career takes a different change. Could you bring us up to date about how she becomes involved in women's health? Well, yes, there are two strands to this. She, of course, had a great deal of difficulty adjusting to Madison because she'd just spent six months in Italy uh, with all its glorious architecture and art and scenery, and Madison really didn't bear a candle uh, to Italy. But anyway, she... Well, you've got to be careful. There may be some people here from Madison, so uh, we'll have to qualify it, that. Actually, it was quite a nice town, but I'm, <laughs> we're talking about 1906. But right, to, I understand. But there was a, a big cultural difference between Italy, with its extraordinary historic background, and the Middle West. So Dorothy believed that a woman's job was to have children. And she wanted to do this, and this is why she married Mendenhall. And she lost her first child because she had a lousy obstetrician. The guy wore dirty clothes. He didn't wash his hands before he did a pelvic examination. He tried to turn her, rotate the fetus while she was in labor, and the result of it was the child died shortly after birth. And Dorothy saw all this happen. And she was powerless to do anything about it. And then she, but she did the right thing. She had another child. And this child lost his life in a freak accident. So Dorothy had her own set of experiences which said all is not well with, with the way we're birthing and looking after babies. And then by chance, she was invited to go and give a lecture to some farm women in a town outside uh, Madison. And her lecture didn't go very well because she did it in the best Hopkins style, and that didn't suit the farm wives in the Midwest. But what she did realize was these women were not interested in artificial feeding. What they were interested in is their own health care. And from there, she was invited to go on regular excursions together with a, a sanitary expert and an agricultural expert on weekly visits to these communities. And she saw just how bad medicine was in these communities. She saw how these poor wives had no prenatal care, and she just realized that something had to be done about it. 
And uh, there was an organization called the Attic Angels in Madison, which was a charitable organization. And she learned through a nurse associated with them that conditions were equally bad in Madison. And she put forth the idea to them of having what we would call a, a, a prenatal clinic. And this was the beginning of her interest and her work in improving the lives of uh, pregnant mothers and their infants. You mentioned in your book that in 1915, the infant mortality near Madison was 100 per thousand. And by 1937, mainly because of Dorothy, Madison had the lowest fetal mortality in the United States with 30 deaths per 1,000. And it was largely due to her involvement in women. Dorothy remarked that she often felt when she first got there that animals in Wisconsin got better care than women who were pregnant. Well, I think in a sense they did. Madison, Wisconsin is a dairy farming area, and particularly it was back then. And the farmer was very much involved with his dairy herd, and he worked hard to improve the nutrition and the quality of his herd, partially by breeding and partially by feeding and so on. And a mother and her calf represented a major investment. I think the bottom line was that the farmer, who was, you know, always on the edge financially, I think, was very much concerned, you know, when the cow gave birth and so on. And he was far more interested in that than he was in his wife, who was busy, you know, trying to deal with the children, the housework, and being ready whenever need arose for additional hands to go out into the farm and do what was ever necessary. So uh, I think that really was, in a sense, true. Dorothy made tremendous contributions in your field and in the field of female prenatal care. Was she ever recognized during her career for this by her alma mater or on a national level? She was recognized by Smith. Smith gave her an honorary doctorate. One of the things that happened to Dorothy in Madison was that the dean of the medical school was actually the man who had told Dorothy about Hopkins and led to her letter to Welsh and so on. But he refused to give Dorothy any sort of an appointment so that, in fact, she never had an appointment except in, as, as an instructor and lecturer in the Department of Home Economics at the University of Wisconsin. She was never a member of the Wisconsin Medical Society or the medical establishment. I think in later years, uh, she realized that this was a mistake. But in answer to your question, she was certainly recognized nationally and internationally because during World War I, she'd worked for the then new Children's Bureau, and their job was to educate mothers and they did this by putting out pamphlets on various aspects of maternal and child care. And she was instrumental in writing a great many of those. So she, was, she got, uh, got fame, or though perhaps not honorific recognition. Yeah, Dorothy writes early on, when you got a doctorate, if you were a male, you got a Ph.D., but if you were a woman, it was P.S.D. for she. And these were some of the obstacles she felt she faced and always resented. Well, it wasn't Dorothy who, who wrote this. It was actually her friend who used to write to her as Dorothy 
PSD. Oh, I see. Thank you. But uh, no, that's right. She had real obstacles to overcome. Well, we've uh, come a long way, and Dorothy kind of opened the doors. We now realize, well, I think half the medical school are females. But I think, although your book doesn't touch on it, there still seems to be discrepancies in women in medicine as far as especially leadership roles and academia in particular. What do you think Dorothy would think about this now some 50 years later? Well, Dorothy was always a feminist. She would be surprised and disappointed to think that it's taken so long. Although uh, there's a fair sprinkling, certainly, of uh, women, but there weren't the numbers of women in medicine until 30 or 40 years ago. So, we, But we should by now certainly be seeing them in the upper echelons. I think in closing, there is a statement in your book. There seems to be nothing more fitting that when a reporter asked her son, Tom Menderhall, who was, like I say, one of her sons, when he was elected president of Smith, they asked him, you know, what did he think of this? And he replied, quote, I'd like to think it was due to my firm conviction that education for women may be even more important than for men. Unquote. And I think surveys continue to show that the most significant factor in the improvement of health in developing countries is the level of women's education. I think Dorothy, when she heard this, must have been very, very proud. I thought your book was very, very well written. I enjoyed it. It opens up a whole vista of a continuing issue. And doctor, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Picard. This is Dr. Maurice Pickard. If you've missed any of the discussions that we had today, please visit reachmd.com slash book club to download this podcast and many others in this series. Thank you again, Dr. Dawson.